0: Everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy, Literacy Podcast. We are here with a special episode of just Lori and Melissa talking about a book. So welcome, Melissa. Welcome.
1: Yeah, it's just us today. I know. It's kind of like our Facebook Live, but mm-hmm. not it's not live. It's just us.
0: <laughs> I'm excited because we're piloting this really fun idea that we have about a book talk that then we have a complimentary podcast with. The authors of the book. But we thought there are so many busy educators out there who may not be able to read the book (laughs) before listening to the podcast, or maybe they want to read it after. So we thought we'd give them just enough to kind of whet their appetite and get excited for the book and be able to more deeply understand the podcast with the authors.
1: Absolutely. It actually it reminds me of our podcast with Jen David Lang that we did mm-hmm. the mastermind and how she does those like summaries for the really busy educators in, yeah, in writing. But we're doing it, <laughs> now we're doing on, it on a podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I hope I hope it's helpful for people who you know want to just like get a little context before before we actually talk to the authors.
0: Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear. So let us know. Yeah, jump in jump in our Facebook lives. Let us know if it's helpful. <laughs> we'll we'll keep
1: doing it if it's helpful. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, I'm I'm excited for today because we're going to be talking about your specialty here, secondary yes. readers.
1: Secondary, of course, my favorite. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you started there too, so uh, yeah. You have a but soft then I spot. spent the
0: majority of my time not, <laughs> not in. I was like, oh my god, this is this place is a mess. Like, Nothing. Like, yeah. I gotta figure out what's going on. <laughs> Why are your kids coming to high school not being able to read? <laughs> well.
1: Our book tells us a little bit about it. (laughs) So did we say the title of the book yet? I don't think we did. We did not. All right. So the title of our book that we'll be talking about and then to the authors on our podcast on Friday is Thinking Reading, What Every Secondary Teacher Needs to Know About Reading with James and Diane Murphy.
0: Yep. So we'll be talking to James and Diane and the title of their podcast coming out will be titled Teaching Secondary Reading with Authors of Thinking Reading. So a lot of reading, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're all about. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so you're in the right spot. <laughs> all right. So,
1: I mean, they really do try and answer that question that you asked, Lori, was like, well, not really how did this happen, but more so what do I do? Right. I'm a teacher, a secondary teacher. I have students who are coming to me and they're not reading on grade level. What what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Um, so this book is helpful in that way, and we'll talk a little bit about it, right?
0: Absolutely. But I think we should start with a story that we're going to reference a bit in the podcast with them. It's from Chapter 1, and Chapter 1 is titled Why Every Teacher Needs to Know About Reading, mm-hmm. which I think is really helpful, especially when we're thinking about secondary teachers who
1: yes. may not have
0: received all the instru- I mean. We now know all teachers may not have received <laughs> instruction that they need but right. especially our secondary teachers who absolutely you know have struggling readers coming to them but did not receive likely any training on what to do so yeah um
1: i highlighted with a lot of highlighter every teacher <laughs>
0: yeah. every single teacher <laughs> every single teacher because yeah, it so does we... affect every teacher yep but so we're going to share this little story that I think sets the stage for the book and for our podcast. So Melissa, you want to right. start us off? Absolutely. I feel like we need music, like a little interlude before we do a story, but maybe we I, can have I feel like there is a fancy way to do that on here, but yeah. I have no idea how to do it. Right. <laughs> we'll work on that for our phase two book.
1: Club. <laughs> yes. We, read reading music. <laughs> All right. Here it is for real. Okay. After 10 years of education, Andrew was highly disruptive in lessons and was on the brink of exclusion from his secondary school. He was also reading at the level of a a six-and-a-half-year-old. His levels of frustration were apparent when, asked to complete a computer-based test, he broke the mouse. He was not impressed by the thought of attending yet another reading intervention.
0: Warmth, firmness, and the character of reading a book on football won him over, at least for the present. Andrew was smart. He had no problem with comprehension, but learning to decode the words on the page was a different matter. By his second lesson, Andrew could see that he was making progress and we had buy-in. It wasn't always an easy road. Andrew had a
1: reputation to protect with his friends and was not always the ideal student, but he made nine years progress in 13 months, gained five A through C grades in his GCSEs, and became a student leader in the sixth form. At the time of writing, he is completing his third year in university. Not bad for a boy who
0: couldn't read. Imagine how different his schooling would have been if he had been taught differently from an earlier age. How much do teachers need to know about reading, and why does it matter? All right, that's great. Good questions here.
1: <laughs> we, sh- we should probably just, I was, as I was reading it, realize we should tell our listeners that um, they're based in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so some of these, the football reference, talking about soccer, the GCSEs are their exams.
0: <laughs> yes, I was going to say, I don't know what GCSE stands for, but it's clearly an exam. <laughs> I forget what it stands for, too. Yeah. I, d- I did live there for. It's three months,
1: six months, however long you're there when you study abroad.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that's exciting. I didn't know that about you. How old were yeah,
1: uh, you? Huh? Oh, gosh, what, 20? Oh, that's so much fun. Oh, I'll tell you more stories about okay. that later. There's right. a lot. A <laughs> lot of fun stories.
0: <laughs> I can't wait to hear. Uh, okay, so we're going to really focus on this conversation. We're going to focus on chapters, chapters. Um, Four, five, and six a little bit more deeply, but we're going to talk a, just a, a bit about one through three first all together because we're going to talk more about those on our actual podcast. So <laughs> um, we, we think, or the question that's going to help us today is, what do teachers need to know about students' reading skills? And we know that when we're talking about skills, we're talking about foundational skills. We're talking about teaching decoding and teaching... Um, you know, systematic phonics. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: I think that's really key in what the story we've read, right? Is that once we get to secondary, there's kind of that assumption that the students already have those skills mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: or even not the assumption that they have the skills, but there's no place for it to be taught, <laughs> right? That's just, <laughs> it 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 should have been taught in, you know, K through two, maybe caught in third, fourth, if they didn't mm-hmm. get it. And so, you know, you're really just kind of focused in on the comprehension. And like they said with Andrew, right, it's, he could comprehend just fine. He could understand if you read it out loud to him, but it was those other skills that he was missing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the struggle is when do you teach it? And not just when, but how do you teach it? And mm-hmm. that's what I think they outline in the later part of the book that will we'll get to in a moment. Um, But, you know, James and Diane do assert that it's really important to know students' reading skills, not just a general score. So really know what they can do and what they are struggling with like very intimately. Like know those things so that you can remediate what their needs are rather than just like a general gloss over, uh, you know, this is their score, their, you know, whatever. And instead of being general you can get very specific and then make your intervention very specific exactly right so so this is chapter four now
1: right we're in chapter four that's their first recommendation in chapter four.
0: oh i hear you i'm sorry i'm looking at your numbers over here i see what I you did <laughs> um but that's great let's just jump into it i think that's okay. right i think we're ready for it um, you know, and i'm yeah it's our notes that were, it's the way, there's a lot of numbers because they number it. their things. Yeah. We, we're following an outline. But the, the way that they number, they number things in the, I was getting confused with the numbers in the chapters. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Listen. There's lots yeah. of numbers. It's okay. okay. Thanks for keeping me straight. <laughs> this, is, well, this is why I'm doing reading, not math. okay. <laughs> uh,
1: what I love about that though, that you said is um, that the second recommendation they had in that is to have students read it out loud to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so I made a little note because one of my friends um started as an interventionist this year in secondary, and she kept asking me like what she was looking for an assessment like you're talking about right so i what's an assessment so I can know exactly where they are and like what's going on um but she wanted you not I'm not blaming her for this, but like what we're used to is a uh, something on the computer, something that's gonna spit out some data for me, right like that kind of thing, and I was like. Mm-hmm you need to hear them read.
0: <laughs> there yeah. might be
1: other things that are helpful too. I'm not saying they aren't, but like at some point you have to hear the students read maybe as a part of the assessment, maybe in addition, if it, if the assessment doesn't do that, but I, I love their tip there of like, have them read aloud to you. It, mm-hmm. You will learn so much as a teacher to hear, you know, are they reading quickly, slowly, are they stumbling on words expressively? Like you can just learn so much by hearing them read out loud.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that's it's so interesting because when I chat with parents about this, I I share things like you know what the way that your your student or your child reads aloud is how they're reading in their head. Right. So if it's really choppy and they're taking know, time
1: to sound out the words, yeah, then or, that's
0: exactly how they're reading inside their brain. So them reading aloud is like your. Your, microscope. your window. Yeah, your window into their brain. Yeah, your right. microscope, your telescope into their brain.
1: And that's what I was – like, it's – you know, if you're just doing – if you're doing an assessment where you, you don't get to hear them read out loud, if it's on a computer or something like that, then you're, you, you have to, like, make inferences about why they – chose whatever they did, you know, I, I don't have an assessment in mind, so, but you know what I'm saying? Like if it's multiple yeah. choice, like you don't know why they chose A over C. Um, you know, you don't know even if it's comprehension, you don't know if the, the fluency got in the way of the comprehension or if it was really the comprehension that was <laughs> the issue, you
0: know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So listen to kids, read aloud. That's super important and yep. take notes about what you're hearing about their you know, what they're doing well and where they're struggling.
1: Yep. And I think it's important they added on to that, too, is, you know, don't just stop at a fluency assessment where you get to just hear the words read aloud, but make sure you're also checking their understanding of what they've read, because we also have the opposite problem, which is students who are really good at just reading words out loud and they sound very fluent. (laughs) But then when you ask them questions, then
0: they might not understand what they've read. Yep. And I love how in the book, which, you know, if you have this book and it's on page 74, it notes so one reason for this may be lack of fluency. Decoding is so effortful that they have little working memory left over to process meaning. Another reason might be related to vocabulary. Sometimes there's too many words on the page that they're not Mm -hmm. sure of or they don't know. Um, So asking them what a particular word means or asking them to rephrase a sentence can be helpful for them to think more carefully. Okay. Oh, this was, you know what? I really liked this next part, though. Do you want to talk about this next part of the highlighting on our, I have I it highlighted. I, say, I don't know what you highlighted. So. I have an, okay. <laughs> I'll talk about I, have, I was I'll ready and it. waiting for your highlighted parts. <laughs> I'll say, I know I noted in the notes. I highlighted a whole bunch here. Okay. I'll read it and then I'd love to hear your reaction. Okay. A critical element that enables students to understand texts is whether they are able to connect pronouns with their reference. Am I saying that right? Reference? I think I'm trying to find where you are. Sorry. Reference?
1: I think it's reference.
0: Reference. Which number are you on? Oh, we should have looked this up beforehand. I said it in my head. I did that thing where I said it in my head as I was reading silently. I think it's reference. Reference. Okay, I'll read it again. And maybe we cut this part out because there was a large pause before that. (laughs) A critical element that enables students to understand texts is whether they are able to connect pronouns with their referents. Asking the student whom he or it refers to can reveal quite alarming gaps in their comprehension. Ooh, isn't that so good? Yeah. Because that's very confusing, especially in complex texts. Mm -hmm. I remember that specifically.
1: I I had an honors class once in high school, and they were reading The Great Gatsby. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, these kids were, they were good readers, right? They, it was an honors class. They were good readers, but they actually pointed that out. But they were, they were aware enough to point out what was getting in the way, but they were like, I just don't ever know who they're talking about. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> like, I can't follow it enough to know who, like who they're referring to. Mm hmm. I feel that yeah, I, I I feel that way when I read texts like that as well. I, yeah, I when there's just so many that.
1: characters and you're mm-hmm. like, wait,
0: is the he this person or this person? And right, because you, you have to use a good reading strategy. You have to pause and say, okay, who is he referring to? Right, and keep that in your brain and, keep and track and then, of everybody. <laughs> yes, which is hard to do if you're focusing on. It's really hard to do if you're still
1: focusing on just. What are these words? Say? What do these words say? Yeah. <laughs>
0: How to say the Absolutely. words. This is what the words mean. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I, <clears throat> I, I loved that. I thought that was really, really important to know yeah. for our secondary teachers, especially.
1: Yeah, because I mean, the texts just get more and more complex, right? So mm-hmm. there's more and more of that kind of confusion. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a good one. <sighs> Absolutely. All right, so these next two uh, pieces in Chapter 4, these next two uh, ideas in Chapter 4, how about I read them both and then we can talk about them together? Yep. Yep. Um, So pair students with an able buddy and set ground rules for a safe climate. And we're still on pages 74 and 75. We haven't gone far.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's okay, though. It actually
0: reminded me – this reminded me
1: so much of – Lorraine and Lindsay's episode with Mm -hmm. fluency so yeah you guys have to go back and listen to that if you haven't Mm -hmm. um but Lindsay talks a lot about in her classroom Lindsay Kemeny is a a teacher we've had on a couple times and she talks about how she does just this right is is pairing she does more like they're closer together I believe in in their um like where they are with their reading yes (laughs) but it's the same same idea and Mm -hmm. especially the ground rules for the safe climate right like have, have a pair and make it really specific about why these two are paired together. Um, and then be very specific about how they can help each other. Right. Like Lindsay has very, very clear rules about what happens when your partner gets stuck on a word. And I think that's she even made a video to help students. Like
0: (laughs) if they forget, she doesn't have to be in the group for them to move (laughs) forward. They have like a a, a minute or so video that they can reference. Yeah. And I know, I mean, she's a second grade teacher, right. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, but I could see high school teachers doing well, that, too. Totally. Right.
1: I was going to say it might be for very different reasons, too. Right. In in second grade, your students might just might not know what to do, like how to I don't know how to help this person. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in high school I, or even in middle school, I think it's important, too, because that can cause some some conflict. Right. Especially Like uh, students can feel like these are skills they should know already. And if you, my partner, are saying uh, you know that I said a word wrong. There can there can be some tension there, <laughs> and so sure. I think it's really important to set set that safe climate, like they say, of like we're all here to help each other, and here's how you're going to help each other through it. Then and, and like make it normal, right? Like we we're your partner's probably going to make some mistakes while they're reading. That's normal. Completely. We're going to help each other through it.
0: Yeah. I like to, it's funny that they mentioned football, football in the beginning of the book, Um, because when I work with kids, I like to kind of connect it to sports. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the the first time that you strike a soccer ball or a football, you're not going to strike it the best. You're going to need some feedback and you're going to need lots of practice. And, you know, I I think if you can connect it to not just sports, but anything in and make that learning messy and normalize that. And then support students, giving them the language to work through that. Yeah. I think it really does set the ground rules for a safe place for all kids to learn. And, yeah. again, I think connecting it to things that they do outside of school really does normalize that for them.
1: Yeah. I used Especially to secondary that. teachers. Yeah. Because, I, I, you know, I'd say, you know, you still go to basketball practice and you probably still do, like dribbling drills right like I know you already know how to do that but you still practice it to get better
0: yeah it's not like once you're on uh you know the NBA team they stop practicing right right (laughs) they're still
1: just practicing how to shoot the ball yeah (laughs) for sure I love that all right so our next like set of um I think I, I grouped like a ton together so we you can did. just kind of see where this goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, <laughs> I have a lot of highlighting, no worries. I think these were more in the language comprehension, which is why I put them all together um, mm-hmm. and things. I think it's really important to know like, yes, some of our students definitely are coming in with some needs in that those foundational skills and need to like, we have to get them reading fluently or that it's going to continue to be a struggle. Um, mm-hmm. But knowing too, that you can't forget about, the language comprehension and continuing to build it up. And maybe also they might need a little extra help with it too. So um, they talk about vocabulary in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so building up their spoken vocabulary and also in print, which I thought was an interesting distinction.
0: I think so too. And I, th- I mean, they said reading represents spoken language. So if students don't know the word on the page in their spoken mm-hmm. vocabulary, mm-hmm. then they're going to have trouble decoding it. And then even more so Understanding it. Absolutely. Perfect right. sense.
1: Right. But then I, they, on the other end of that, they say, you know, you can't only stick to spoken vocabulary because think about the books you read in secondary and how many words are in those books that are just You're not never said out loud
0: <laughs> no <laughs> um key point when i don't even i don't know maybe we should leave that in the from earlier I we edit it out.
1: maybe we should leave it in
0: yeah well we can we can i i'll i'll be uh I'll know this podcast is a safe place and no one is going to think less of me. Reference is that how we're choosing to say it? Because gonna, it's refers. I believe so, Reference. and we still might be wrong. I might be wrong. We'll look it up. But I've said it in my head multiple times while reading this book. I feel like it's akin to saying names when you're reading, uh-huh. you know, like if you just have you the just, ways that you pronounce yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I read Harry Potter and pronounced Hermione wrong the whole time in my head, oh, but man. then I Hermione. didn't know that. I didn't you know. Yeah, I did. I didn't know. <laughs> I did as for I mean, a, lo- a long, t- a long time ago, but I didn't know. And <laughs> so I didn't ever have to say it out loud. And then <laughs> it's the same idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I just, I, I think it's a really good
1: point that they bring up with the, you know, I, I think it's, I almost think it would be good to make that distinction for students and let them know that like, yeah. you know, because I'm even, I'm just like flipping through a book I have right now that I have circled words, you know, of vocabulary words and words like ravine, gullies, you know, like, I, I just like, they might use those words in their spoken vocabulary, but but it's a very specific setting for them, exactly. right? that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, like highly unlikely that they're using that regularly in their spoken vocabulary so I think it would be good for secondary students to know that just that like completely you know, you, you, there might be words here that you you might not use all the time that's okay but we we gotta we have
0: to know them <laughs> <laughs> yeah I love that I think that's really important and I yeah. think that also shows respect for our secondary students <clears throat> for sure yeah. yeah yeah awesome so I love this next piece because it's so easy but it's, sometimes overlooked. Plan to include reading in all lessons. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you want me to say that now, Melissa, or did you want me to to keep going with 11? Okay. Um, Yeah. Plan to include reading in all lessons. Like, yes, definitely include reading in all lessons. But sometimes, I mean, I even, I noticed this when I, I mean, granted, it was my first couple years of teaching, but I sometimes didn't have students read too much during my class. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh, that was I I needed we need to be reading more next time. And so that was that was a very easy tweak to make as long as, you know, again, we're reading the right things. We're reading some complex text and, uh, you know, building knowledge on topics. We're not just all over the place. Um, But, yeah, to include reading in all lessons, it's a pretty, pretty simple outcome there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm wondering, though, how you define that. Are you thinking just the English
0: teacher? Oh yeah, no, everyone. Everyone. Everyone should
1: be reading. <laughs> I remember so we actually um in Baltimore when we were doing our, our work with secondary teachers and how to this this is the work we were doing. How do you help mm-hmm. secondary students who are coming and yeah. reading behind? Um and we had Tim Shanahan actually came in and helped us a little bit. And one of the things he was adamant about was you you cannot expect to improve students reading only in the English class, right? They're like, right. That's like 42 minutes or whatever, right. An hour a
0: day, an hour, if you're lucky. And then how many, like 90 minutes, how long are you really lucky? Yeah. And how long are you reading in that? Like if you sat down and thought like, how much time am I actually reading during this time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he was adamant that in some way, shape or form we had throughout a school day, we need to be looking at how much are they reading throughout a school day and like really reading, not just mm-hmm. having a textbook in front of them and answering some questions. Right. <laughs> but like reading. So reading that's alone. that's a that's a whole that's a whole podcast right there. Really
0: <laughs> <is>. <laughs> we'll come back to it at another time. <laughs> we will. And we'll also to to share a teaser, we will talk to our Baltimore teachers who yeah. did that work. So yeah, yeah. You know, we'll be able to learn from them and with them soon. Uh, but just to be fair, they focused on their English class because they're all English teachers. Well, well, the ones we're talking to are English teachers. We they can did. we can explore that question further out after we talk to the English teachers. Yeah, <laughs>
1: they had they had to do what was in, within their control.
0: Yeah, control the controllables. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So
1: I skipped a little bit, if that's okay with you. Yeah. I, it, um down to number which one is it um, i see our numbers are off of the ones that are in the book i i messed that up um d- numbers 12 13 in the book okay
0: i also we also sure. should say these things they give tips in chapter 4 for Helping struggling readers in the secondary classroom, and these are all numbered. We probably should have said that. Yeah, yeah, listen. yeah.
1: That's yeah. that's the numbers we're talking about, not just the ones on our own outline, but mm-hmm. the, the ones that are actually in the book. So, pages 79. We're going to make a lot
0: of mental notes for what to do next time. <laughs> and maybe, with yes, the book club. yep, yep, yep. Yeah. We'll, we'll be more organized next time.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but on page 79 and 80, they talk about just including regular daily spelling practice in your routines and adding systematic language teaching, including syntax, morphology, and etymology. Mm -hmm. So I think those are things that are not often thought about at the secondary level sometimes, especially the like morphology potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think.
0: But it gives some really great ways to approach it mm -hmm. and also methods that have some limitations. So. Yep. You know, you can read and decide on your own
1: how best it could fit,
0: how, yeah, how to best choose how to support your students based on different methods that they're sharing, which ones have limitations and which ones may be best for your secondary students. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I like that, too. Yeah. And the last
1: one I really picked out was maybe our favorite one, of course, is don't forget about comprehension, which I love that
0: they pointed out the background knowledge as the number one. (laughs) It's number one. Background what? knowledge. Well, not number one. It's the first bullet point is what I should say. Building, background knowledge, building knowledge is the first bullet point. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. We know that knowledge is essential for drawing conclusions, picking up inferences. Love it. I'm going to read the – can I read the example? Absolutely. If a student doesn't know that Venus is a very hot planet, he or she is not going to pick up on the implied meanings in an advertising slogan such as hotter than Mercury, cooler than Venus. Further. If he or she doesn't know that Venus is the seductive goddess of love, she won't pick up on the play of words between science and mythology. You might even form a misconception, gaining the mistaken impression that Venus is a cool planet while Mercury is hot. In fact, they're both very hot. Makes me think of the song.
1: It's so funny. When you first (laughs) read it, I was like, wait. Wait. Is Venus a, a cool planet or a hot planet? Yeah. I <laughs> <She> was like, <laughs> I feel like there might be a mistake in here. And then I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. They're actually, they're both hot. I I don't know that I really knew
0: that. Back in the well, line. now I'm understanding the, the. I don't know how old that song is. You know what I'm talking the, about? The, yep. Yeah, the, your um, desire. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. I'm your Venus. Yep. <laughs> I'm your fire. Your desire. I mean, I can't say it all. But that was That one, was it. That's I'm it. understanding <laughs> that even more now after reading that. So... <laughs> all of the, but i did not pick up on that the implied meaning right in the in the advertising that uh, I, in the i mean that song has been in commercials and lots right, of stuff right but, but yeah you know,
1: i may i may have well missed as that as for sure which yeah. we all we all have those when we're reading right things that we kind of miss and sometimes mm-hmm. it really affects the meaning sometimes it doesn't but you know the more
0: that our students know and don't miss the meaning of it, the better. <laughs> yes. And the more they know, then the more that they can hook onto that knowledge yeah. and uh, understand more deeply. So, Absolutely. Love that.
1: Well, do you want to talk a little bit about chapter six before we yes. go? Yes. A
0: quick quick hit on chapter six. Chapter six is titled, What Does It Take for Effective Reading Intervention at Secondary School? Yeah. Again, we're in England.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very fancy. Um, So for me, the Mm -hmm. difference between these two were like the the first one that we talked about, chapter four, was more about the kinds of things teachers are doing in their classrooms. And chapter six was more about if you're going to be doing an intervention school-wide, you know, what are some things that need to be in place so that it, it is effective, right? So this is this is more systemic, bigger than just a one teacher trying to make something happen in their
0: class. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, do we want to go a little bit into each one? We'll just go briefly into each one. Yeah. The the problems that <coughs> problems often happen, and why they don't they often don't seem to work. Yep. Um, so the first problem is low expectations, and this just reminds me of the TNTP study where like teachers having high expectations is critical. Like that Mm -hmm. is a critical piece and we'll link that in our show notes, but it's called the opportunity myth. And that's a really important thing that teachers have high expectations. In fact, I, I, you know, I was able to just put some, um, recommendations forth for Presley for next year, not naming a teacher, but, um, her school does this great thing where they, have you, you know, email and, and share attributes of a teacher who you think might be a great fit for your child. Mm, And so that was, I know I loved that. (laughs) I thought it was really good. And I feel like I'm always like saying things that are like negative about the county in general with their curriculum. (laughs) So I wanted to name something really, really that like, I felt like so engaged as a parent and excited to share and do. So they, you know, they, they asked for attributes of for, of teachers who, mm-hmm. who might connect well with your child. And that was one of the things I, I said is like one of the number one things, high expectations. Like, I just think that we can all rise to that when, I mean, yeah. think about, you know, when we've had a teacher who's expected so much of us, we're like, Oh, I need to, I need to do this. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it's a really important work. So, yeah. you know, they, they, they're with that person every day. And I just, it, that, that high expectations is so critical. And it, especially with interventions, you know, we don't mm-hmm. want someone to think or. or the, those secondary kids, all kids like, know, but oh, secondary kids get can this. read that. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I think one of the lines in here that I picked out was, it says, another reason that we expect little from interventions is that we assume that the children in them are suffering from a disability of some kind. Mm. Um, basically, like, we don't think this intervention will work because, it, you know, it's because they have a disability, which I find so interesting because I will say, I struggled with IEPs a lot when I was a teacher because mm-hmm. it always just said, like, other learning disorder yeah. and I was like what is that like what is this other
0: <laughs> that you all speak of
1: yeah um, and, and I how really are we coding
0: everything as other
1: yeah and I, I and I, I frankly like I'm not going to say that not every I, mean, I can't say every student that has an IEP doesn't have some kind of learning disability there, there might be some but I don't believe that all students I think some of them just are struggling readers and mm-hmm. if we could get them what they need I don't think we would label them as having other learning disability. Um, So I just, I think that that, that sometimes I think can be harmful because I think a lot of teachers see the IEP, they see learning disability and they just think, okay, like I'll do what I can, but uh, they might not ever be where they need to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. So that having that high expectation, like, yes, we are going to get, this yeah. Like we are going to work together. No matter
1: what, right? Yeah. If you have an IEP or you don't, let's do this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yep. All so right. to that, <laughs> to that end, um, the problem with interventions could be a lack of fidelity. And mm-hmm. so keeping fidelity to the program is really important because it's systematic and teachers need training to that yep. as well. Right. So Thank teacher training is yep. really <laughs> important. <laughs> we can't expect teachers to uphold fidelity without the training to do so. Yep. And
1: Diane brings this up a couple of times in our episode where she, you know, she says like, you know, as a teacher, you if you have the training, once you have the training, you know, it's really important not to just like go with your gut and say, well, I think that they need X, Y or Z. Like if if there is a, a systematic way to do it, make sure that you're sticking with that systematic way.
0: hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important, too, that once we get rolling that we don't have that Dunning-Kruger effect that they talk about in the book, which is that we feel confident we've mastered something because we're such novices that we don't <laughs> know how much right. we have to learn um, or still to learn. And that the early successes can convince us that we know enough to, I think they, sh- they say, tinker. Um, and this can lead to negative consequences. So yep. I was thinking, you know, we don't know what we don't know, and yep. we need to stick to the program. Yep. Absolutely. Very important.
1: I really like the next one, uh-huh. <laughs> um, which was you know they titled it "lack of sophistication," um, which I I think is a very fancy way of saying it. But I think it's really interesting because I think it's true. I think in secondary, often the interventions get it's a it's one part of reading. Usually, Correct. you know, mm-hmm. it's like oh, you have a, a vocabulary intervention, or we're doing a comprehension intervention, or a fluency, a fluency intervention.
0: intervention. Mm-hmm.
1: And in most cases, students don't need just one of those things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought that was really interesting to think about because, you know, the one the the programs I could think of, a lot of them do fall into that bucket. And like, well, are you going to actually do all five different interventions with a student? There's Mm -hmm. no way. Um, So how can you look for interventions that might be able to meet all of those needs versus just one?
0: yeah, and i'll I'll name the five areas um, oh, yeah, that they, that they said that struggling adolescent readers need support in. and then they also give the caveat with possibly addition of phonics if assessment denotes need. Mm-hmm. So those areas are vocabulary, fluency, word study, comprehension, mm-hmm. and this one surprised me, but not really. <laughs> Motivation um, for a secondary student, and then that additional one may be phonics if they if they show yeah. that they need that. Yeah, so we don't want to sure. focus on one area, right? They said that that was no good. We want to focus on all of those areas. And that also feels overwhelming, right? If I'm, <laughs> yeah. if I'm a secondary teacher listening, oh, my gosh. Okay, well, just saying they might need help in vocabulary seems a lot easier than saying I have to address right. vocabulary, fluency, word study, comprehension, motivation, possibly also phonics in right. time that I don't have. So, right. I mean, I, this speaks to, like, a bigger piece, right? Like, schools have to be doing this as... All, and working with teachers, there needs to be probably a special block for this. This cannot be done like by the classroom teacher during like English language arts time. I think for we just need to name sure. that. Yes. Yeah. Thank
1: you for <laughs> naming it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: that really, that gets to my like one that I always bring up, which is the, you know, the good old, well, if they just find a really good book, then, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to change their lives. And, you know, that hits on the motivation, right? Like maybe you will get them to find one book or an author that they really love and that's great, but that doesn't mean necessarily that you're helping, helping them with their fluency that they really need support in, right. Or their vocabulary that really needs to be built up because maybe that book that they chose doesn't have tough out vocabulary that's going to challenge them. Right. It might be why they're motivated to read it. So that's only addressing that
0: one piece. So it doesn't really get to the yep. whole picture. Exactly. <clears throat> um, can we skip down to the mm-hmm. impact of ineffective interventions on students? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that the compounding effects on mental health, confidence, and self esteem—that really just made me think of our episode with Stephen Dykstra. For and sure. I was thinking, if anybody, as they're listening to this, wants to learn more, that episode with with Stephen—it was our hundredth episode. Yeah, it really spoke to the the. Way that not being able to read just compounds on students daily and how it's trauma every day and then how it's just ongoing, it's frequent, it's repetitive, and it impacts them. Yeah. And my thinking was like, imagine
1: if all these other things aren't going well, right? You place a student in intervention with good intentions, but there's low expectations and you're only focusing on vocabulary, right? And you don't have great assessments, so you don't really know where, where they are. And, you know, you don't, didn't train the teachers very well. You have all these things going on. Like imagine the impact on the student there, right? Mm-hmm. They're already probably having some of that repetitive trauma from years before because they didn't get to sixth grade and suddenly now they're struggling, but they didn't in the grades before, right? They, they, yeah. This has been ongoing for them. And so you know, already being in an intervention, if they're seeing these other things happening where it's not a successful place for them, it's it it can be really tough.
0: Yeah. And that's where I think I, I kind of reverse the order here up for us to talk about it because I think that that entry point gives a lot of educator like thinking about that as an entry point gives educators instead of blaming themselves, they can think about how they're helping the students. Because I think every educator wants to help students. Sure, sure. Right? That's why we all became teachers. Yeah. But one of the things that uh, James and Diane note as, you know, not um, a problem with an intervention is the insufficient quality of assessment Mm -hmm. and more so the assumptions and intuitions like using assumptions and intuitions rather than data. So we would not want to use professional judgment to say, okay, this student has mastered this and now they can go on to that. We want to have the data show and say that and then move the student because the data says that they are able to do it. It has really not much to do with us other than that we're providing this very systematic approach. And so we need to see if the student has learned it through the the data.
1: Yeah. And I would add on to that. You know, I was thinking of some of the data we used to see in Baltimore, which was, you know, you would get a, a grade level for a student. And so, mm. you know, from that, you could probably say, okay, if they're in seventh grade and they're reading on the third grade level, they probably do need an intervention of some kind. But that often didn't tell you (laughs) exactly. It didn't tell you where they need support, and that's where it's really necessary if you're going to do an intervention. Not to just give teachers a list of, okay, here are your kids who are below grade level have fun go right but mm-hmm. but they need to know specifically you know where where are our students and what you know where are their strengths and where do they need more support specifically in vocabulary and fluency and do they need
0: extra phonic support what what do they need that support in exactly so that's a great way to transition us what is required for effective reading intervention and at the end of the book at the end of chapter 6 we Have some attention to that question. Um, So I think it would be most helpful, Melissa, if we probably just rack these off like a little Mm -hmm. list. Um, And I'll start the five strands of reading. We talked about those earlier. Phonics, knowledge, vocabulary, background knowledge, comprehension, explicit language teaching, such as, you know, for example, word study. Plus motivation. Yep. The detailed assessment that -hmm. we
1: already talked about. Mm
0: -hmm. Stages of learning. So they talk a little bit about that and explain what that looks like in the book um, that we teach, we practice, and then we go to mastery.
1: Yeah, and then it's attention to sub-skills, which this, you know, this is where the, having really good training in reading is really helpful. It's really helpful. Because, you know, we can say, okay, even like we said, great, they need help with fluency. Okay, but... There's different parts of fluency and what do do they need to read slower, faster? Do they need to read with expression? Like what, what are the different things within there that they actually need support in? Exactly, fluency is actually an easy one to rattle that off with. When you get to like phonics, there's a whole lot more under those sub skills that you need to know Mm -hmm. a lot about.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yep. And uh, carefully calibrated steps in learning. So I'm going to pull my book to explain that one a little bit better. Um, if you're listening and you have the book, it's on page 122. <laughs> yeah. And I can just chat while you find it real quick is,
1: you yeah. know, just, just knowing exactly like what's the right next step for students, knowing where they are in their curriculum, in their classroom, where they are with their needs based on those assessments. And like, what's the right next step <laughs> is it's a tough thing to know.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think this, this sums it up that, um, the amount of new information presented must be small enough that mastery could probably be induced in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So we want students to feel like they're and they're getting it very yep. quickly. To have some small wins, like I'm hearing that as, yeah. I'm, I'm explicitly teaching this to for small wins. So yep. this and over time, lots of small wins means really bigger gains, right? Yeah. And I
1: will say real quick, um, James and Diane talk a lot about that as the motivation for our secondary students. And Mm -hmm. although, you know, that story we read at the beginning, we reference it in the podcast with them too. You know, yes, Diane needed to get that student to read about football at first because she just needed a way to get him to say, okay, I'll work with you. Right. But that wasn't the real motivation ongoing. Right. She didn't need to like only continue to have him read about football. That was just a way to get Mm -hmm. him hooked in. Um, But then the real motivation came from what you're saying there, which is them seeing quick gains, quick, like, oh, I can get this and I can get better quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And them knowing it, right? So it's not like, sometimes I feel like in school, like kids go a really long time and don't necessarily even know, like, am I, am I doing well? Am I not? Am I making progress? Right? So being able to tell them right away, like you made, you, you went from 100 words per minute to 120, like,
0: that's I oh okay <laughs> like there's motivation there then yeah you're right they do talk about that quite a bit and it is mm-hmm. they give very good examples it's very helpful to conceptualize that part yeah, yeah. and I think it's and great. also super motivating for kids
1: yeah like, because I don't think we always when we hear motivation I think we often think about the types topic, of texts they're reading the topics yeah. or content
0: rather than like hey that might motivate like data might 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 motivate them
1: <laughs> yeah or just feeling successful right like feeling like I can do this.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. if they felt if
1: they've felt for years like this is something they're not good at, Mm -hmm. to feel like oh, (laughs) I can get good at this. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be like me going to play
0: basketball and (laughs) actually getting
1: a little better at
0: it. (laughs) I
1: might (laughs) might motivate me
0: to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I also have to say I don't think that you know some of these there are quick ones. Like for example, you said with fluency, like that doesn't take a long time for kids to see their improvement. Like, Mm -hmm. and I also think. Like we said earlier, when we normalize, when we don't understand a word, the thing to do as good readers is to say, I don't understand this word. I need to go back and break it down and then think about what it might mean in a sentence and reread. Like I'm going to spend extra time instead of I think when readers get to the point of feeling, quote, like they're not so good, they think they need to just go through quickly to just keep going right because that's what that that's what they have in in their head as good readers do but good readers actually stop they reread they break it down they pause they think do i understand this what you know what about this word feels tricky what looks tricky what sounds tricky what you know what can i connect this to is there Mm -hmm. and they kind of play around with it a bit but that takes teaching i mean yeah you have to explicitly teach that and say that. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's, um, there are some quick wins here. You know, other ones are a little bit longer yeah. term well, wins. <laughs> I was going to
1: say the like other side of what you just said, the long term side of that is, you know, building their vocabulary so that, you know, they don't have to stop so often to exactly really think about the meaning of words, right? If it becomes a part of their, their long term vocabulary, but that's a longer term win, right? That's not, yeah, that's not a quick one. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, this is so much fun our first um, yeah. book talk. We we learned a lot. We hope that everybody listening learned a lot.
1: <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah, and enjoy listening to James and Diane talk about the book on our podcast episode. Yeah, coming up.
0: Thanks for listening, literacy lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content.
1: We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience, too. Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy
0: Podcast Facebook group, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us.